Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. All right, you're saying just preach, preacher. Okay, we're going to be in chapter 15. You remember what happened at the beginning of the chapter. We're not going to read all the first few opening verses, but there were certain men that traveled from Jerusalem 320 miles north to Antioch. And when they got to Antioch, they started teaching, and literally men continued teaching a false doctrine. And the false doctrine that they were teaching said, unless you are circumcised, you Gentiles, these were non-Jews, Unless you Gentiles are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And verse 2, as soon as Paul and Barnabas heard this, as Luke said, there was no small dispute. In other words, there was a huge dispute. That thing, Paul and Barnabas came unglued, and they're like, what? And the dispute was so heated that the church there in Antioch said, hey, wait a minute. All right, let's take a group and send them down to Jerusalem. After all, that's where the day of Pentecost took place. That's where the church was established. That's where the spiritual leaders are down in in Jerusalem. Send them down there. Call them together, the elders and apostles, and ask them concerning this teaching. Ask them, do the Gentiles have to be circumcised, literally convert to Judaism, in order to be saved? And so that's what they did. They sent the group down there. And what we're picking up in verse 4 is their arrival. So follow with me starting in verse 4. We're going we're gonna to read a chunk of this. That's okay, right? Because we love the Scriptures. Amen? Follow with me. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. So everybody got together. And they reported all the things that God had done with them. Never forget that anything that has been done in a spiritual manner is the Lord doing it with you and through you. The Lord gets all the glory. Amen? So they didn't tell them all the things they did. They said, this is what God did in and through us. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, the word Pharisee means righteous one. It It was literally a title. It was a group of those who were called righteous ones. And some of the sect of the Pharisees, now this is important, who, what? Believed. believed. So they were believers. They rose up, and it means to stand in opposition to. And this is what they said. It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they just heard the false teachers that come in and told them these things, and they thought about it and said, hmm, they're right, you know, that sounds reasonable. Let's put this out there and command them to do it. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. So in other words, now they went into executive session, if you will. Now the apostles and elders, they come together and they said, we need to talk about this some more. And when there had been much dispute, not a little bit, it went on for a while. Now it says, Peter rose up. And again, rose up to stand in opposition. So what does that tell me? If to rise up in opposition to tells me that this dispute, this whole conversation, this whole debate is going in one direction and Peter has to put the brakes on. So he rises up and he goes, wait a minute, boys. And he said, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, 
approximately about 14 years ago. God chose among us that my mouth, by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. What's he referring to? We're in chapter 15. He's referring back to chapter 10. That's when the Lord told Peter to go to Cornelius' house, who was an Italian man, a Gentile. He gave them the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began speaking in tongues. And they received not only the Holy Spirit, they received salvation that day. They asked Christ to come into their heart and save them. And so that's what he's referencing. So he said, so God, who knows the heart. Does he know your heart? Man, he looks through us like glass, doesn't he? Looks right through us. God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So the evidence of God working there that took place at Pentecost has now took place at Cornelius' house, chapter 10. And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts. How? By faith. Their hearts were purified by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples. The yoke is what the oxen would use to pull the burden. Put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. I mean, did you hear what he just said? Why are you putting this yoke on them that our forefathers weren't able to bear it and we weren't able to bear it? He's telling us, who are you guys kidding? We're not even able to do this. And now you're going to ask the Gentiles to do this? Oy vey. That's in there somewhere. But, verse 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Amen. Hallelujah to that. Now, did you notice how he reversed that order? You notice he's saying, we will be saved the same manner as they are saved. He didn't say they are saved in the same manner we are saved. You say, so? That's important stuff. So what he's saying is, they don't have to convert it to us. Just as they were without the law and saved by grace through faith, so also we are saved the same manner they are. You know, it's amazing. When I was in Israel, I, I sit on a, a board of Dugit uh, Ministries there in, in Tel Aviv, and I was talking to Abe about the Gentile believers that are in Israel, and there are many there, as well as many Jews and many Arabs that have been saved, uh, but also here in the States. There are Gentiles, that's what you and I are, or Gentile men and women. They were saved, but yet many of them started converting to Judaism. In other words, they said, well, i got to stop this and start that and not eat this and I can't eat that, and started going into Jewish customs. And and Avi's saying, hey, we who are Israelites, we are Jews. We are saved away from the law. We are saved apart from that. We are saved by grace through faith. And no longer do we have that yoke on us. And he says the crazy part is the Gentiles want to become like Jews. And so now they put the yoke on themselves. And they come to our services and tell us as Jews that we're not worshiping correctly. 
He said, it's true. He says, they will say, well, you're not supposed to worship on the Shabbat like that. You're supposed to do it like this and like that and this. And he goes, it's crazy. He goes, we're, we're the ones, we're the Jews. We should have been telling them in the old days, but now they're coming back to us. So it's interesting how it's come full circle. Anyways, but he said, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Verse 12, then all the multitude kept silent and listened. You're supposed to be silent and listening. Who said that? Carol. Don't, don't look at her. No, I'm just kidding. All the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul. The two missionaries now stand up in the service. Barnabas and Paul declared how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them amongst the Gentiles. So God's saying, wait a minute, these were God things that took place. They weren't man things. God worked amongst the Gentiles. We couldn't raise that crippled man in Lystra and, and tell him to get up and walk. God did that. He was that way since birth. And God miraculously healed him. So they shared all the things that God had done. After they had become silent again, so in other words, everyone didn't have anything to say. James answered. Now James was like the lead elder at the church at Jerusalem. And James pastored the church at Jerusalem. Peter was a missionary to the Jews. They were called the missionary to the circumcised. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, or a missionary to the uncircumcised. That's how they differentiate. Which is interesting, because some groups say, no, Peter was the founder of our church, and and yet he wasn't even a missionary to the Gentiles. He was a missionary to the Jews. James was the elder of the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. So James stands up. And he says, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon, a.k.a. Peter, has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree. Just as it is written. He says, you know what? There is scriptural support for this. And he goes back to Amos. And in Amos, he will quote out chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. And this is what Amos says. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild it. It's ruins. I will set it up. Now, they are living in a day and age when the temple had been destroyed and Herod had come in and rebuilt the temple, this Herod's temple, and rebuilt uh, the walls around Jerusalem. And he says, so here we're living in those times even. Verse 17. So, here's the reason, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name. It's, it's interesting. He says, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. He didn't say, all the Gentiles who call on my name. So it's interesting. God already knows who we are out there. And he says, says the Lord who does all these things. This is a God thing, James says. Known to God from eternity are all his works. In other words, God knows what he's doing. He has always known what he's going to do. And he knew it before he ever even did it. Is that right? He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so, he goes on, Therefore, I judge. Ooh, judge not, right? The word judge means to make a decision. We always think judge means in the sense of condemning. To judge means to make a decision. 
So he says, here's my decision. I judge that we should not trouble those from amongst the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of all your blood. He's talking about back then, their pagan worship included all these sacrifices and drinking blood and yucky stuff. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, uh, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So this isn't new news. He always said stay away from paganism. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who is also named Barsabas, and Silas, leading men amongst the brethren. And they wrote a letter by them. And here's what the letter said. The apostle, the elders, and the brethren. To the brethren, whom are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So just so you know who I'm writing to, and so you know who is writing. Greetings. Since we have heard that some went out from us, have troubled you with words. Because we're not denying that fact they went out from us. Unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we gave no such commandment. Listen, we didn't send them. It seems good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their own lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, therefore, sent Judas and Silas, who will also report the same thing by mouth, word of mouth. In other words, you get a written form. Just so you know it came from us, here's two witnesses that said it did. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Always make sure you start with the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, as long as it's good with us, oh, it's got to be good with the Holy Spirit. No. It was good with the Holy Spirit and to us. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. The word literally is fornication, a.k.a. in the Greek, pornania. We get our word pornography from this word. If you keep yourself from these things, notice, you will do well. He did not say, you will be saved. He said, you will do, what's he talking about? He's not talking about doing these things to get to heaven. He's talking about their testimony, not their salvation. You follow me on this? If you you abstain from this stuff, stay away from these pagan practices, he says, you'll do well. And then he closed by saying, farewell, farewell. So, when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Amen? And all the men in Antioch went, Praise the Lord. (laughs) Man, they were encouraged. Could you imagine? I mean, we're talking 320 miles. This group was sent 320 miles south. That doesn't happen in an hour and a half. Well, some people's driving it might, but most people. This took a long time to walk this far. And then they had the meeting. And then they traveled 320 miles back north. I mean, can you imagine waiting back in Antioch and say, well, what is it? What's it going to be? Months have gone by. 
And then the news gets there and they breathe a sigh of relief, saying, wow, I'm glad it's not true that we don't have to be circumcised and we don't have to go under the law of Moses. All it is is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this week, and probably our next time together, next week, or week after that, we're going to cover this subject. It's called legalism. Now, you'll not find the word legalism or legalist in the Bible. You won't find it in that form as a title. It comes out, it's a Greek word for law. And there is a whole philosophy, Chinese, if you follow any Chinese philosophy of legalism, that's a whole study in China. But this is not that. This legalism uh, in the scripture, we're going to see, is an affront to God. And I call it an affront to God because here, as you see in verse 10, you see Peter asks a question. Why do you test God? Some translations say, why do you tempt the Lord or tempt God? That word tempt, perezo in the Greek, it means what you see there. In a bad sense, it means to test one maliciously. Crafty, to put to the proof his feelings or judgments. So in other words, this word to test God is to say you are putting God to the test. You're putting God to prove his feelings. Does he really love you? You're putting God's judgments to the proof. Is this really what God says? And this this word tempt, this isn't the first time we've seen it. Remember when uh, Satan meets Jesus out in the wilderness, he said, hey, if you are the son of God, cast yourself off this pinnacle because the scripture says he'll give his angels charge over thee lest you stub thy foot against the stone. And you remember what Jesus said? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not maliciously put God in a position to prove his feelings or to prove his judgments. Lord, you said this in your word, and now I'm putting you to the test. Actually, there's only one place in the scripture. The Lord says, you know what? You can test me here. And it's Malachi chapter 3. When it comes to giving... He says, you could test me when it comes to tithing and offering and giving to me. He goes, test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you won't be able to have room enough to receive it. Remember that? That's the only place God says, you could test me there. Put me to the test. He gives you permission. But in the other areas, he said, you don't tempt the Lord. It is a malicious attempt. It is a frontal assault. As a matter of fact, this word legalism I like how Mike Slick with the Christian Apologetic and Research Ministry defines legalism. All right, you got your pens ready? Legalism. In Christianity, legalism is the excessive and improper use of the law, i.e. Ten Commandments, holiness, laws, etc. This legalism can take different forms. He'll present three different forms. First of all, The first is where a person attempts to keep the law in order to attain salvation. The second is where a person keeps the law in order to maintain salvation. And the third is when a Christian judges other Christians for not keeping certain codes of conduct that he thinks needs to be observed. In other words, he's doing it, and now, hey, you're not doing that. Hey, you should be doing this. Hey, you need to stop doing that. Oh, boy, you definitely need to cut that. You get the drift? We're going to cover these. 
when we consider this affront to the Lord, today we're just going to define the legalist. What does the legalist look like? Well, first of all, we meet them in verse 1 of chapter 15. Remember verse 1, we met the certain men. And we're told that certain men came amongst them and they began to teach this. Legalism. You've got to go under the law of Moses and you've got to be circumcised and you've got to do everything that's written there. And so these guys come in and they present the law of God as a means of salvation. Remember, the works to attain salvation, what we would call grace. Now, here's the problem and here's the thinking of the lost legalists. And by the way, you say, well, how do you know they're lost? It only said certain men. Remember, Galatians chapter 2 takes this text and will recapitulate it in a way that explains what's going on. And it will identify these guys in verse 4 as false brethren. So they were not true believers, we're told. So these were lost legalists. Now, the thing with the lost legalists, they try to attain salvation through the law of Moses. And they have a belief system that looks like this. They believe that their good works will outweigh their bad works. Of course, we know the title for bad works starts with an S and sounds like in. Sin. We know that the bad works are sin. We don't even like to say that. So we say, you know, God knows my heart. He knows I'm really trying. He knows I'm being good. And so this whole belief system says that my good will outweigh my bad. And God say. Way to go. You're golden. Come on in. I believe this for many, many years. This heresy, this belief system is prevalent in our world today. It is all over the place. It's even in churches. It's even out of churches. Every place. It's it's right in the very heart of religion. This is in the very heart of religion is this heresy. Notice I did not say relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ hated religion. He hated man's mechanical efforts to try to build a ladder to get himself to heaven. Those are works. And so here we see this belief system that says, well, you know, as long as my good works outweigh my bad, I'm, I'm good. I'm in. God knows my heart. Here's the problem. One bad work, one sin is so heavy that it's heavier than all of your good works combined. And you know how I know that? Because God's Word says that. As a matter of fact, James, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem, he wrote a letter to a bunch of the churches up in Galatia. As a matter of fact, if you were to read James, you will see in chapter 1 in the opening, James is writing to the tribes, the Jewish tribes scattered abroad. And he writes the book of James. And in chapter 2, in verse 10, he will write to them. And he'll say to his fellow Jews out there, he said, Hey, whoever keeps the whole law, that's a lot of pretty good works right there, and yet offends in how many points? One. One. He's guilty of how much of the law? All of it. Well, that's a bummer. It's like, What? So, you know, when you, you see that first diagram there with the, they got this whole bucket of good works, man, I'm being so good. I'm, man, I mean, I've, I've, I've been to church all the time. I helped a little lady across the street. The sign said no right and red, so I didn't do it. I obey the letter law. I never go over 55. 
in a 30. No. I mean, you realize how exact you have to be if you're going to keep everything? Because the Bible says obey the laws of the land. You know how exact you have to be? Never to break it? And that's not just sins you commit. There's sins that you omit. When God says do this and we don't do it. Anyone ever done that? Or didn't do that? Or something like that. We think somehow, man, these, these good works, they are really, really heavy. And yet God says one bad work is heavier than all those good works. Because all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like getting in the gates of heaven and Peter says, why should I let you in? I got this box of dirty rags. Gee, that's nice. We think somehow that our righteousness, what we've done right, says, oh, well, in that case, come on in. You see, the lost legalist believes this. And the challenge is that they do not have the Holy Spirit living in them. They have the Holy Spirit confronting them. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11, the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world. That means to condemn. He will condemn the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And we say, oh, we don't like to think of God that way. And so God thinks of God. God says, my spirit's job, before you are saved, is to point to you and say, listen, that sin that you're committing, that one little sin, is enough to condemn you and bring judgment upon you. And that righteousness that you think you have is a self-righteousness, not a God-righteousness. And if you go on that righteousness, there is judgment coming. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't convict us of this because he wants to be the bad guy. He does it because he is the good guy. Right? He say, Tim, this is sin, and you're not saved, and you need to ask Christ to be your Savior. And, and your righteousness isn't going to be righteous enough, and there's going to be judgment to come if you think you can get yourself in. And the thing is, the more we fight the Holy Spirit, the harder it gets on us. Here's a truth that I have learned. If you fight, you will lose. But if you surrender, you will win. In other words, stop fighting them. Let them save you. You know, if, you, if there was a drowning person and he's in the water thrashing and you go in there to try to save that drowning person, you know what? Their thrashing has the ability to drown you as well. Because they're, they're fighting. And, and, and the thing to do is stop fighting. Let the one saving you save you. That's the same with the Holy Spirit. Stop fighting. If you will only but surrender. Isn't it interesting? The universal sign for surrender is this. It's the same sign for praise and worship, isn't it? Thank you, Lord. By the way, the first service this morning, after service, a gal, Becky Campbell, came up. Becky and Nathan have been coming in for quite a number of years, a couple of years now. And she just came up and she said, all right, I'm done. What? I'm done fighting. My feet feel like they're in concrete. Every time you give an invitation, just like you said, he said, she goes, I need to be saved. I'm not saved. And this morning at the first service, she accepted Christ her Savior. Amen? Say amen. Woo, yeah. Hey, the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner gets saved. And 
she's been, she said, I've been going to church all this time, you know. Her husband was saved. And she's trying to go along. It's okay, this is fine. I'll go to church. I'll go to church. And yet in her heart, she wasn't saved. And we still love her, right? Loved her then. We still love her now. And I said, praise the Lord for your honesty. Because sometimes your fear of others knowing keeps you out of heaven. You say, who cares what others think? I need Christ to be my Savior. Amen? <laughs> and boy, I tell you what, boy, she's just beaming. She's just beaming on her way home this morning. That's, that's exciting stuff. So when it comes to this belief system, when it comes to these legalists, if you will, the lost legalists, the problem is they forget verses such as Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified. Some like to think of the word justified as justified, never sinned. We are justified. It is a judicial word. It is a word proclaimed in a court of law. It is a word that will acquit the person. So here you are the defendant. And the problem is this, you're not acquitted, and I'm not acquitted, due to lack of evidence, right? Before we're saved, the Lord says, there's all the evidence. And we're like, hmm, well, uh, that was a white lie, though. You know the Lord doesn't color code his sins? Oh, okay, well, it was a white lie. You're fine, then. Here's all this evidence against me. And yet, the judge says that his son, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was made sin for me. All of my sin was placed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he paid the judgment of my sin, and his righteousness was now placed on my account. You see, we are not justified by my right doing, because I can't do enough to justify myself. I am justified by Jesus' right doing, going to the cross and dying in my place. And taking all of my sins, and taking all of His holiness and placing it on me. And the Lord now says, you are acquitted not because there's lack of evidence, but all the evidence was put on my Son, and you are acquitted because all of His righteousness was put on you. You are free to go. Amen? Free to go. You're like, free? Free. And if the Son shall make you, not simply set you, like break you out of jail, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Yeah, yeah baby. I am free. Free? Get out of here. You're free, he says. You see, we forget this. The legalists forget this. The lost legalists. They forget Romans 4, 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes, and you can change work into behave, the one who does not try to behave himself into heaven, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Now, I've shared that verse with people, and I said, glad I'm not ungodly. So they got all these categories of people. They said, well, before, even before I was saved, I mean, I was a scoundrel. They still use that word? I was a scoundrel. I was bad. And I'm not getting into how bad. That's not important. But I was bad. But you know the crazy thing? I always thought there was others worse than me, so I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. So, come on, I only got 13 tickets in two months. What's the big deal? 
I won't even tell you what all the tickets were, but I seem to collect them. I use them for wallpaper in my apartment. But the thing is, we always say, well, they're ungodly, but I'm okay. You know what ungodly means? Unlike God. Unlike God. So God says he justifies those who are unlike God. Well, how does he justify those who are unlike God? He says, you know how he does it? He says, when you believe what my son has done, that faith is now reckoned, it's put to your account. That's a reckoning, is an accounting term. It is put to your account as righteous. So in other words, all the righteousness that was in Jesus Christ is now placed on me. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm like, wow, your faith is counted as righteousness. Now, the challenge is, sometimes we listen to these guys. Matter of fact, we were all in this camp before we were saved. Every one of us were in this camp. Every one of us thought the way you attain this is through being good, and then you'll be saved. And oh yeah, oh I got faith, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Becky said it. She, she's always believed all that stuff. But it had to come to a point where she stopped trying to be good enough to get to heaven. And she said, I just want to ask Jesus to come in my heart and save me. And he saved her by his grace. Lost legalists say it starts here in order to get to here if you're ever going to get to there. There's another group. Oh, by the way, do we want to... Yeah, we'll jump down to these guys. There's some other extemporaneous things that we'll pass by. The second group, not just the lost legalists, these are the saved legalists. You say, well, where were they in the text? They're in verse 5, in case you missed them. In verse 5, we'll meet them. We don't meet them by name. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't mention our names? (laughs) Sometimes he does. Man, I feel bad for the two ladies that were fighting in the one church, and Paul mentions them by name in the scripture. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. For all eternity, their names. I said, oh, that was you? Yes, that was me. Anyways, verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up in opposition and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So my question is this. Were they believers? Yes, they were believers. They were not unbelievers. They lost legalists to say you have to work in order to get to heaven. They are unbelievers. But these were misbelievers. They misbelieved this. They, they were believing something that wasn't true. So here comes the, this false doctrine. And these, not all the Pharisees, but some of the Pharisees said, you know what? That sounds pretty reasonable. It sounds like Genesis 17 when the Lord says the same thing. He's like, you know, they're probably right. And they rose up and said, you know what? That's right. They do have to keep the law of Moses. They do have to be circumcised. And what these guys are saying is the truth. And here's the problem. Well, here's what it looks like. And I'm not really good at diagramming, but you get the idea. They believe in grace faith, salvation, that we're saved by grace through faith. They believe that. They were believers, right? But the problem is between salvation at the cross and getting to heaven, they walk a tightrope. 
And on this tightrope, they're, try- they're doing this balancing act all through their Christian walk. And one side, well, I got to be good and do all these good things. Why do you have to do it? In order to please God. And, and I'm not sure if God's pleased with me today. And they're always in fear of possibly slipping off this rope and landing in eternal hell. I've met those that have talked to me about this. And they say, well, you know, all right, you're going to sit a little bit. It's one thing, you know, but you sin too much and that's it. You've, you're off the rope. I said, oh, Okay. Well, how many sins can I get away with? You're like, well, I, I don't know. And the funny part is they, they never know how many sins it's going to take to fall off the rope. And, and the thing is, they're constantly on this balancing act, and they're, they're hoping that if they're going to be good enough, man, I'm almost there, I'm almost there. And they're constantly keeping short accounts with God. Keep your sins confessed up, in other words. Keep asking God to do what He already said He did. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. We do that. I did that for years. Lord, please forgive me this. Please forgive me that. And yet He said that if we confess our sin, that we are a sinner, that He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. Listen, God's Word says that when He saved you, when He saved me, he didn't just take the sins I committed and, and put them on Christ. He had taken all my sins that have already been put on Christ. 2,000 years ago, every sin I ever committed, every sin I'll yet commit, all of my sins have been judged on Jesus Christ. All of them. And when I asked him to forgive me, to release me from that debt, that's what forgiveness is. It's an accounting term again. Release me from that debt because I believe that Jesus paid it all. You know what the Father did? He released me from all unrighteousness. And He took all of my sins and He says, I'm going to get rid of these things. I'll cast as far as the east is from the west. All right? And then I'll take them and if you think they're still wrong, I'm going to put them in the deepest sea. And He goes, and your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. Well, what about my attitude this morning, Lord? What one? What about my sin yesterday? I can't remember. Well, what about the ones I'm planning to do tomorrow? You better not. <laughs> he says, I don't remember these things. Is that because God has a faulty memory? Do you think, do you picture God like us? You know, we can walk into a room and wonder why we're there. Have you done that? I go, okay, I'm just going to back out of this slowly. Retrace my steps and maybe I will remember. God is omniscient. He knows all things. But God made a promise that He will never bring those things to His mind again when it comes to your sin and my sin. Now, here's the thing. The question is, do you believe it? You see, the the problem comes when we think that somehow we can't work for it, but once we get it, we kind of invert the boxes. We say, okay, it's by faith, but unless you do this. Okay, it's by grace, but unless I keep doing this, then I won't be saved. You see, we just invert the boxes. And we we try to say, well, I'm saved by grace and through faith, but I have to walk this tightrope. Now, when I think of this, I look at these Pharisees. It was their title. It wasn't a title of disrespect. It was quite a title of honor. You know what I notice? Their motives are pure, 
but their methods were faulty. You see, their motives were to please God. They wanted to do what's right. They got a title known as the right ones. How would you like that title? That's what Pharisee means, the righteous ones. These are the ones that do the right thing. Now, unless we're too hard on them, when they heard this false doctrine, it appealed to them. Why? Because they were heretics? No. Because this is how they've always been raised. They were raised under strict religion. They were raised under, under the law of Moses. They were raised that everything in their life uh, consisted around prayer and doing the law of Moses, doing these good works. Everything they did, they tried to do it in accordance to the word of God. As a matter of fact, they got it right down to a science. And Jesus will say to them, and he goes, even in the area of tithing, you tithe out of your spices, Jesus said. How many have gone to the grocery store in the past year, picked up some cinnamon and some oregano and some rosemary, and said, well, I better cut out a tenth of this for the Lord. You say, well, that's crazy. That's exactly what they did. He says, you tithe, even give me a tenth out of your spices. And he doesn't rebuke them for doing that. He, he says, this is one thing. He goes, but this isn't how you get to heaven. He says, you're, you're doing all these right acts, and you're missing it. You're trying to get yourself to heaven. And you need to realize you need a Savior. They were raised in a very religious and strict home. And a very religious and strict lifestyle. So when along comes the devil with this false doctrine of saved legalism, it appeals to them. Why? Because that's their identity. It has always been their identity. The righteous ones. They found their identity in these acts, these behavior belief system, performance belief system. And you may have been raised in a very strict environment, maybe religiously strict, maybe just strict at home. I had a very strict father growing up and, you know, religiously strict. I mean, I was Irish Catholic and we're, we're Irish Catholic are stricter than the Italian Catholics. So there. <laughs> so we thought. Very strict environment. Sometimes people are raised with expectations that, you know, unless you perform these certain behaviors, you are not loved by your parents. And there's a lot of people that were always working to get their parents to love them. They're always trying to be good enough for, to be accepted by their dad or accepted by their mom. And along comes a belief system that's behavior-based. And it comes into a world where everything is behavior-based, isn't it? It's not grace-based, it's behavior-based. If you are good, you will be liked. If you are bad, you will not be liked. If you show up to work, you will have a job. If you don't, you won't. Right? You can't just show up to work a couple months later and say, I'm back. All grace, huh? Undeserved favor, remember? Still got my job, don't you? And they say, sorry, here at this job, you're under law. <laughs> you're fired. We live in a system, everything is behavior-based. It appeals to the legalists to save legalists if you're used to that as your identity instead of finding your identity in Jesus Christ. And those who are accustomed to structure, they do things, they're regimented. Is that you? I'm regimented. I'm a structured guy. I mean, I liked Paris Island. And for those who don't know Paris Island, it's not a place where there's palm trees and coconuts. It's Marine Corps boot camp. And I don't know, it's kind of crazy. Some of the guys yelling at my face and spitting at me while he's talking. Some of them are telling me all these things. You know what? Life was good at Paris Island. I always knew it time to get up. 
I didn't like the way they woke me up, but I knew it was time to get up. As soon as that trash can goes down through the squad bay, it's time to get up. I knew what was coming next. I knew how to brush my teeth. And they literally teach you how to brush your teeth. They Everything. It was very structured. I like structure. I'm a preacher of habit, remember? I come in my house, my keys always go in the same exact place. My wife, she'll be going, where are my keys? And I say, honey, if you just put them in the same exact place. Those who are people of structure, they like me. They like my kind. Those who are not people of structure, you do not like my kind. Right? You may be married to one who's not my kind. Or is my kind. Like, oh! Everything's neat and orderly. Everything's in its place. Structure appeals to me. For years, this structure, if you will, even appealed to me. Got to be good. Got to behave. Got to keep short cows with God. Problem is, we forget such verses as Galatians chapter 2. And in verse 21, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God. To nullify, here's God's grace, I make it null and void. For if righteousness comes through the law, through works, then Christ died needlessly. So, if it's by grace and grace alone, all Jesus Christ and faith in his work, then his death was not needless. But if the Lord's saying, but if you have to work to be saved, then it's not grace, right? If you have to work to keep being saved, then it's not grace. Got to make sure I got them in the right order. He goes, he goes, then you just nullified everything Jesus did. In other words, you said, okay, yeah, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now you got to be good enough to get in. And how is it that before the cross, we couldn't be good enough, but now he says, but now you can be good enough. But if you're not good enough, you're going to fall off that rope. You see, the problem with this kind of thinking is that it eats away at grace and truth. The more you continue to try to maintain your salvation, it's going to eat away like a caterpillar eating away at a leaf. It just chomps away and chomps away, little by little, bit by bit. And before you know it, it's gone. And, and before you know it, your focus is on your works. Your focus is no longer on faith. We have to be so careful because it's so easy to fall in that trap. And we forget verses like Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How did you get saved? You got saved by grace through faith and nothing else. Right? You did not get saved by grace in works to get you in. You got saved by grace through faith and nothing else. No works. He said, in the same way that you received Christ Jesus, walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him. And established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it. Faith with thanksgiving. Now here's the problem about preachers. Preachers will tell you, walk in faith. Preachers will tell you it's all by faith. But the problem is this. We hear the word faith and we just associate it with salvation. And even walking by faith, we say, faith in what? I don't get it. What am I supposed to have faith in? We have faith in what God says in his word. Faith is simply this. Taking God at his word. All right? Taking it. If God says this, you take him at his word. You have faith. So God says to you, 
You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Say to yourself, I am righteous in Christ. Amen. God says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And we have to say, I believe that. God says, you are more than a conqueror through him that loves you. Say, I'm more than a conqueror. Do you believe it? We'll, we'll say, oh, I believe it here. And then we live like a loser out there. Oh, woe is me. Everyone's beating up on me. The devil keeps beating up. I'm so sick of hearing the devil beating up on everyone. Why don't we beat up on him? Amen. Well, how do I beat up on him? By taking God at his word and believing God and not believing the lies of the devil. When the devil whispers and says, you're no good, you're a failure, you can't do this. Look at you, what kind of Christian are you? You say, get out of here. Why? Because if I start listening to you, I will tempt the Lord. I will put the Lord to the test to prove that he loves me. To prove his feelings and his judgments, remember? Do you go through life always trying to, worried about whether the Lord loves you more or loves you less? Man, I must have really disappointed the Lord today. I must. I was just. I just blew it today. He must be so disappointed. He, he's sick of hearing my voice. He didn't want to hear my voice anymore. And we're constantly worrying about his love for us. We're constantly worrying, am I good enough? And the greatest problem is this behavior leads to fear and doubt. You're doubting his love. You're doubting your behavior and your fear. What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? I'm no good of a Christian. Let me tell you something. If you start walking in faith, meaning you start believing what God says about you, and you start rehearsing that in your mind over and over and over, and you start believing what he says, you say, but wait a minute, I got this vice in my life, and I won't let go, and and I'm afraid to let go of this sin, and I've tried before, and I fail. Listen, forget that. Don't be sin conscious. Be Christ conscious. Don't tell yourself where you blew it. Tell Christ where he made it. Thank you, Lord, for making me righteous. Thank you for giving me the victory. Thank you, I have the victory right now. That's walk by faith. Rehearse what God says about you. And you will not be walking in constant fear and doubt. You'll no longer walk this tightrope. And as I close, I know we've got to wrap this up. You can see why I'm only covering one point today. That's defining the legalist. The third as I close, is this. Is when a Christian judges other Christians for not keeping certain codes of conduct that he thinks needs to be observed. Christians judging other Christians. I heard about this happening in other churches. This judgment can include, but is not limited to. You know how they always say that? It can include, but is not limiting to, judging according to one's appearance. How one dresses. We make a judgment upon it. Well, I mean, it must not be too spiritual. Or maybe their appearance, of, oh man, oh yeah, he definitely needs a haircut. That's John the Baptist, you know. Oh, sorry, guess he doesn't. Yeah. We look at them and we judge them by their hair, we judge them by their looks. Sometimes we judge according to appearance. Sometimes we judge according to diet. Yeah, what someone eats, what someone drinks. Some people say, oh, you shouldn't be eating that, you know. must not be too spiritual. I, I lived with a group of people, and I worked with this group of people. And because I ate meat and was, also ate pork and loved lobster 
and all these unclean things, um, I was in a mess. I was in trouble. And because I didn't believe I had to worship on Saturday, that made me even worse. Now, little did they know I wasn't even saved at the time, so I really was in trouble. But I wasn't in trouble because of what I was eating or not eating. We judge people because what they drink or don't drink. You know, I was in this camp. I'm saved. I go to visit. They had this thing called visitation back in the day. But this is how it worked. Someone comes to church and they tag you. Then you go to their house and you tag them. Visit them. And so I go to the house and I knock on the door. And one of the worst things about preachers popping in unannounced is like, ah, okay, can you hold a minute? Honey, the preacher's here. Hide all that stuff. <laughs> Oh, wash the wine glasses. Get them away quick. Oh, we're right with you in a minute, preacher. I love it. But back in the day, I'd walk in and I'd sit there, be talking to somebody, and I'd glance over and go, Is that Manischewitz on the thing? Ooh, okay, well, okay, they're probably saved, like they said, but obviously they need to be discipled. They need to grow in the Lord. They're not very spiritual if they drink in wine. And I would judge them by that. I know. Just saying. I'm not advocating going out drinking wine. I'm just saying there's a judgment I made on this person. We judge them by their people's religious actions. They must not be very spiritual if they only take communion once a month at their church instead of every week. Other churches, even worse, they take it once every three months. I know a church has communion once a year. That's got to be bad, right? Oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? But Jesus says, as often as you drink it, just remember me. As often as you take this bread and drink this cup, remember me until I come, right? But we gauge their spirituality by what they do. When it comes to these guys in Scripture, they're known as Judaizers. And in the scripture, there were many Judaizers that were telling them to convert to Judaism. Some were saved, and some were lost, but all were judgmental. And they went around, and this is the whole book of Galatians combats this judgmental belief system. As a matter of fact, Romans, I'm going to close with this verse. Romans will address this. I'm only reading first four verses of 14 right now, but it says this. Receive one who is weak in the faith. In other words, what's faith? Taking God's word. Receive the one who's weak in the faith. But not to dispute over doubtful things. In other words, let's say, hey, come here a minute, John. I want to argue with you about this. <laughs> come here. Let's discuss this. Let's get in an argument. He goes, no, not to dispute. For here it is. For one believes he may eat all things. <laughs> that is me. You could tell. I am an omnivore. But, now I didn't write this. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Amen. <laughs> now, if you eat only vegetables, as we know, vegetarian is the Indian word for bad hunter. <laughs> if you eat only vegetables for dietary purposes, NBD, no big deal. But if you only do it 
if your goal, your purpose, your motivation behind being a vegetarian is to somehow please God more or to get into heaven, that's the wrong motive. That's the wrong practice. Right motive, wrong practice. You following this? So here are people that were, they're saying, no, we only eat vegetables. That's how we're going to get the glory. Now, here's what he says about this. Let not him who eats oh, all things despise him who does not eat. It means to look down upon. Like, huh, what kind of Christian is that? Can't even have surf and turf. But I can. Don't think that, don't look down upon him. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. So the one despises the other and the other judges the other, right? And said, he says, who are you to judge or for God has received him? Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. In other words, that servant's not your servant. That's God's servant. God will take care of that. And before God, they could stand, or guess what? They could fall. But God's able to make him stand, put him back upright. Isn't that cool? He says, so what if they fall? That's none of your business. That's New York stuff. That's none of your business they fall. You know what? They fall, you can help them back up. But you don't judge them and say, ha, loser. We wouldn't do that because we're Christians. He says, but God will make him stand. So, you know what's interesting? Both of them have a superiority complex, don't they? <laughs> the one who lives under liberty and grace in Christ and says, hey, I can eat all things has a superiority complex that he's better than this other guy. And the guy that, the funny part is, the guy that's judging the one that eats all things or has his Mogan David at dinner, the one who's judging him, he thinks he's better than him. He's like, glad I'm not like that guy. And so both of them had this superior attitude in their life, didn't they? And the thing is, we have to realize that, wait a minute, both attitudes are wrong. We will learn when we get back together, how do I handle legalism in my own life? How do I respond to it in the lives of others? And if you want, you can read ahead and read through Romans 14. It'll discuss some of these issues. But today I want to say, where, where is this playing? Now, now remember that we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We like that, right? But don't forget verse 10. says that we were created unto good works. Not works to maintain it, but works so others know, hey, look at You know what? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's why I live the way I live. So don't say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't he say we're created unto good works? Yes, he does. But this has nothing to do with this. Grace is totally undeserved. Totally. And it's all by faith in what God says about you. What God says about how to get saved and what God says about maintaining our salvation. He says, it is God who works in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. And God is faithful to keep, to protect that which we have committed unto him until that day. Aren't you glad for that? If it was put in our 
protection, we'd have messed it up and dropped it a long time ago. God says he'll, he'll take care of it. So where are you at today? You say, well, somewhere in those three, I fall sometimes. I fall into some of those categories. I used to be in the one, not saved. This is a Becky. Praise the Lord, Becky, this morning. Just come up and say, I'm ready. I need to be saved. That's a great thing. Where are you at today? Have you been saved yet? You're still trying to be good enough to get to heaven. Are you saved and say, well, I'm still trying to please God and hopefully I'll be good enough to get in. Or are you saved and you say, I'm glad I'm okay, but all those other ones have a problem. Where are you at today? Father, we ask your blessing during this invitation time. As you spoke to hearts this morning, I pray you'll speak to hearts now. Draw us by your grace. Speak to us to move in faith. And Father, just do a mighty work of deliverance this day. We ask this in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. Stand with me as we close. Ministry team, come. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what? I don't know that I know. The scripture says you will know that you have eternal life. I don't know that I do know that. This is a great day to know. You come. Let us introduce you to Jesus. Maybe you need to be saved. Great day to get saved. Maybe you just need to say, I need this out of my life. I'm a believer now. God grant deliverance. You come. You need healing. He'll heal you. You come. says about you. Believe what God believes about you. Don't believe what the devil tells you about you. Don't believe what your vice or things you're struggling with are telling you. Believe what God says. And in Jesus' name, you'll be able to walk in victory because you'll walk in faith. That's what it's about. Father, bless us. May we go our ways that our ways will be your ways. But as we go, Lord, we know that you are pleased with us. You see us with great delight because you see us in your son. You see us clothed in his righteousness. You see us as more than conquerors through Christ that loves us. 
You see us as chosen in the beloved. You see us as the apple of your eye. You see us as your dear children. Princesses and princes of the Most High God. We don't deserve any of those titles or any of those positions. But we're sure glad that we have them in Christ. Use us, bless us as we go our way. In Jesus' holy name. And we all said, you're here today, I'm up front here, you're not sure about your salvation, talk to one of us.